And here we are. We come face to face with Peter. Now, I, I want to tell you about Peter a little bit, at least from my point of view. Peter has changed, in my estimation, by a ton. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to leave Romans. I loved Paul so much. And I thought, what are we going to study? What can we do next that will be even close to being like, like Romans? And I, I thought in my heart of hearts, there's nothing. I mean, I, I would, if I had a choice and you allowed me, I'd start back in Romans chapter 1 and let's do it again. Just to, and I, I, I know we can't do that. So here we go into Peter. And now I've fallen deeply in love with this man. Let me tell you why. Peter is so a leader. He is such a strong man of God. I know Peter fell. All of us have. Peter failed the Lord when he says, if anybody else leaves you, they'll leave you, but I won't. And then in the, in the garden, in the time when our Lord was, uh, was arrested and was going to put on, be put on trial, Peter denied him three times. So I don't even know the guy. I, I, I don't know him. Don't even associate me with him. And, and it, just, it just had to devastate. Peter, it says went off and wept deeply over that incident. But now we see him. We see him as he's writing this letter, and he's writing it to people who are going through difficulties. Ouch. I just hurt my hand. I've got arthritis in my thumb. That did not help. And, and he's giving... Oh, Lord, let me suffer a little bit. That's nice. No. I'm being foolish. Peter is talking to those who are going through difficulties. As we've learned in the first chapter, like right from the beginning, he said, those of you who are scattered, you're like aliens. But, but in truth, we're not. This is not our home. This is not where we live. Well, we're going to learn so much from Peter because Peter now is going to take us to a place of the assurance of our faith. But like a true leader, like a man who wants to follow God, he gives both sides of the story so that everyone understands the decision that they are making for Christ or not for Christ. And so I want you, those of you that are here today, that are maybe visiting, or you've been here for a while, and you're, you're not really certain about your faith. You, you, you think you love the Lord, you just don't know. That's a terrible place to be. I want you to feel for sure that you know where you stand with the Lord. The Lord wants you to be sure about that. And so... Peter kind of confronts that by saying, those of you who know the Lord, you are assured in your faith, but those of you that don't, he says your doom is terrible. D-O-O-M. He uses that word to express the doom of those who have decided not to trust in Christ for the salvation of their soul. Now, I know that the Lord is using this place in this time and and His Word because I had the most precious time after the first service talking with someone who is wrestling through faith, wanting to know how is it that they can come right now and what does that all mean? And it's, it's a legitimate wrestling match, folks. I get it. It shouldn't be that you or me or anyone comes to Christ like falling off a log. And it should be a time that we give some thought to it and that you make it your decision, not mine, or not your mates, or someone, so that you'll make them happy with you. No, you need to make yourself pleased unto the Lord. Make that your decision that you make with Him. And I think that's what Peter is trying to do. He's trying to give both sides so that the, those that refuse to believe at least know why they don't, they don't believe. And for those of us that do, he wants us to understand how secure and how 
wonderful it is to walk with Jesus Christ all the days of our lives. And so with that in mind, I want you to to read with me just three verses here. I want to read verses 6, 7, and 8. And I want you to catch the flavor of what Peter is saying to us. He starts off by this. Note, he starts off by quoting Scripture to the people he is speaking to. Look what he says in verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And the person who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word. And to this, to this doom they were also appointed. It's an amazing place. Peter's some kind of a guy. I love the fact that he doesn't let half of his audience or what percent of his audience alone because he's afraid to tell them that their, their position is, is, is tenuous at best, that, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is hell to be paid with. Now, I, I know that's not popular. There's not a, very many pastors that are going to say that. But that's the truth. And you're adults. For the most part, there's adults in this room. You need to know that two and two are four. You need to know that. You need to know what it is that you're wrestling with, what you're putting off. If you've not come to Christ yet, if you're still wondering about this whole decision of Christ, you need to know the ramifications of it. The Bible says, don't wait for tomorrow. It says today is the day of salvation. You know why? Because nobody promises you tomorrow. You do not have tomorrow promised. As a matter of fact, we don't have today promised. We don't have the next moment promised. This thing could fall on us and crush us all. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the appointed time. And so I love Peter. I absolutely adore Peter because I love people who tell the truth and then let you and me decide, do we or do we not want to follow that? And for those of us that do want to, why? What is our purpose in life? Why are we on this earth? What, what does the Lord expect of you and me? What is your spiritual gift? so that you can use it to build up the body of Christ to, to be pleasing unto Him. I'm telling you, I got fired up in the middle of this, in, in between services because of this person that, that spoke to me about their faith and their, their wonderment of it all. It, it took me back to the time when I, when I first came to Christ and how I wrestled through that decision. I was so worried about becoming a Christian. I thought, well, it's going to change everything about me. It's going to change my life. I'm not going to be cool anymore. I'm going to have to be a nerd like everybody else that goes to church. I was a nerd. I didn't know it. No. This whole decision on Christ is, a, is extremely important. And Peter, he, he, he approaches it and hits it head on. And he doesn't speak to it on his own words. He tells you that it is, this is contained in Scripture, what I'm about to say to you. And I, I say by the grace of God and as much humility as I can, so is what I am about to say. 
It's contained in the Word of God. I want to pray and ask God to bless us all. Father, please, bless, bless, bless our church. Father, we, we're coming into an extremely wonderful time of the year, a time of thanksgiving. And was reported to us by John and John and Kathy and, and Manny, there are some people, I think it was Manny that said, God bless him, that there are some people that, that asked them to pray that they would be alive, that they wouldn't get shot. I mean, I can't even imagine, can't even imagine. But we have a time to be thankful. Thankful for who you are in our lives. Thank you for our family, our loved ones. Thank you for what you have brought our way, good, bad, or indifferent, Father. And then we, we move into the most wonderful times, and that's the, the celebration of the birth of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we celebrate Christmas. And may we move into the Christmas season, Father, with great joy, but not allowing this... the, the the busyness of this season and, and the whole idea of what the world considers Christmas to take us away from the pure joy of celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I want to thank you for what we were about to read and study. Would you open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law, your word. Move me aside so I do not interfere with that, Father. Do not allow anything of me to stop what you want to say to each of us within our heart of hearts. And now, Father, bless this time we have together. Thank you for every person here. I mean, bless them all, Father, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. First half, the second half of Psalms 52, you don't need to turn there, just listen because it's so precious, tells us that the God that you and I love loves us right back. Psalms 52.1, the last half says, The loving kindness of God endures all day long. So what Peter is about to do is allow you and me to see in the next couple of verses just how truly, how much God loves us. Sadly, though, Peter, being the consummate preacher, is going to tell the people the outcome of those who choose not to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. See, the ultimate and most generous love of God is on full display in this little place in Scripture. It is the gift of redemption. It is the forgiveness of sin which God, which God graciously gives to each and every single one of us who choose to follow or trust in Him. Exactly what Peter wants to do. He wants to assure you and me of our faith. You see... There's nothing more stable than a person who understands who they are in something as nebulous, you might say, as faith. Faith has not been seen. Faith is something we, we hope and pray for. But we have a, a sureness of our faith by the men who preach the Word of God, given to them by God. God wants you and me to be secure in who we are in Christ. And He wants those that are not choosing to follow after Him for whatever reason to know the outcome of that decision. So Peter, in verse 6, as we just mentioned, puts the weight of Scripture behind his thoughts. And so he, with that, Peter confirms the inspiration and the authority of the written Word of God. And what he does in verse 6 is he quotes out of Isaiah 28:16, which says, Behold... 
I lay in Zion, that's in Israel, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And the one who believes in him, note the stone becomes a person, the one who believes in him, Jesus Christ, will not be disappointed. This verse is critically important to what Peter is about to say because it is a messianic promise. It is a promise that the Christ, the Messiah, was to come. And he would be the very cornerstone of God's new spiritual house. It's made up of believers. It's us. We are a part of this, this spiritual house that God is building up. Listen, listen to what Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19, 20, 21, and 22. Listen. Then he says, Paul, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Well, we just heard from Peter that we are. But what Paul is saying in this respect, you are no longer an alien because, he says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are of God's household. That's who we are. We're a part of God's household, the church family. We have been built, verse 20 of Ephesians 2, we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets was the Word of God, preaching the Son of God. We are, our foundation is built upon these words in this Bible, or your Bible, and it is the very essence of who is Jesus Christ. I had a chance to talk to this person about that in between services. It says we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and it is Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, that's us, the church, is being fitted together. In other words, we're like this wonderful puzzle, and each piece has a, a part that to fits in and has a part to play within our family of God. Growing, it says, into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, all of us, are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So that's what we are. We are fellow citizens of God's household. This is... This is who we are. We are the family of God. We, we choose to worship together. You at this place and others at other churches. And hopefully they preach the word of God that tells the people, the congregation that comes week in and week out, what God wants to say to them concerning his words, not their particular thoughts. You see, Christ not only, as it said in verse 4, is a choice living stone which is acceptable to his Father, but he is the to every single one of us who believe, it says in verse 6, a precious, a precious cornerstone. I want to take a look at some of the words in verse 6 so that you see what is Peter saying to us. The word precious, it is in the Greek, E-N-T-I-M-O-N. It means unequaled in value, precious. I call my grandkids that. I call my kids that. I call my wife that. It's precious to me. But more than unequaled in value, it also better means irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Jesus Christ is unequaled. He is irreplaceable because He is the very cornerstone. The most important stone in a building is the cornerstone. And today, we are a part of that building that the Lord is building, which we and He lovingly calls the church. The word, the word translated cornerstone, though, is even more important. It is in the Greek, forgive me while I spell these, if it, if it 
if it's tedious that I spell you these words, just ask me to stop. Just come up to me afterwards. Enough. I, 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 you don't, I don't know what they mean. I don't know. What, why do you spell it? I'll tell you why. To show you that I studied. It's, I'm bragging right now. <laughs> the, the word is A-K-R-O-G-O-N. I-A-I-O-S. It, it denotes a plumb It's an architectural word. It denotes a plumb line. When you're building something, which I am not good at. Mickey could probably tell, me, tell us all so much more about this. But when you build something, as I understand it, if, say for instance building a fence, you've got to start the first line. You've got to start that first post right on target. Otherwise, if it's bent a little bit, by the time you're at the end, the whole fence will be laying down. I, I told this story, and I may have told you this before. It's worth telling again. At least it shows you how inept I am at almost, almost everything. Almost everything. This was before we had kids. So this is um, 35, 36, 37 years ago. My wife and I were living across the freeway, the 91 freeway in, in Yorba Linda off of Fairmont. And it was real popular to do these weaves. And so we want to make a weave for our front room. And you needed a, a, a very square base. So we went out and bought some wood. And I said, let me do this. I think I can do this, Kay. So I go out in the garage and I lay the wood on the floor and I make, I get, I get a, what do they call that? A right angle thing, whatever it is. It's a, it doesn't matter. It's 90 degrees. It, matter, it matters to everybody else. It didn't matter to me. So I had a square. There you go. I had this square and I fixed it and then I hit the, the, the thing in and then I punched the other one in so it would be actually 90 degrees. And then I went to the other side and did the same thing and I built it. And I said, Kay, you won't believe it. It came out honest. It came out perfect. I ran inside, darling, come here and look. I built this. And we went out to look and she said, whoa, how are we going to get it inside? I said, what do you mean? I built it around the pole of our garage. You couldn't... <laughs> You couldn't move it. That's true. You couldn't take it out. You couldn't get it under. It was there. It was there. She said, well, let's leave it here because it's so beautiful. That's me. So anything, anything. Uh, but this cornerstone is the plumb line of our church. If our church, if any church is not built upon the very cornerstone, Jesus Christ, then it's going to go off kilter sooner or later. It will not keep its form or shape. And so you need to know, and I hope, hopefully you need to know nice about us, is that we make no decision apart from what we decide Jesus Christ would have us to do. We pray about it. We really tediously go over everything to see, is this the way the Lord would have us to go? He is our cornerstone. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, nobody can lay a foundation cornerstone other than that one which is laid, namely Jesus Christ. He's our cornerstone. It says also in verse 6, He not only is precious, He's not only our cornerstone, but in Him you and I will not be disappointed. That's a long Greek word. K-A-T-A-I-S-H U-N-T-H-E Here's what it means though. It means that the word disappointment means that somebody who places their hope on someone or something and they have that hope dashed, destroyed for whatever reason. What, what Peter is saying to those of us who sincerely believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will never know any disappointment in Him. In life, there, may, there will come difficulties. But in Him, there are no 
disappointments. We will not, no, never be disappointed in Him. And so it says in Romans 12, 10, 12, and 13, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, if any of you want to come to Christ, you're all welcome. Any of us are welcome into the family of God. It says in verse 13 of Romans 10, whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise of certainty given to us by God Almighty. And so instead of disappointment, you and I who trust in Christ will forever be secure. If you hear nothing else of this message, nothing else, listen please closely to these next verses I'm going to quote out of John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Jesus Christ himself says, My sheep hear my voice. I, Jesus says, know them and they follow me, he says. Now listen. And I give, Jesus is speaking, don't forget that. Jesus says, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one, he says, will be able to snatch them out of my hand. You talk about security. It's one of the great two verses in all of Scripture. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. But the prophet Isaiah, long before the Messiah walked this earth, made this same promise of confidence in God. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 54 verses 4, 5 and then I'm going to read verse 10 to you. Listen to what he says. Look how he secures you in your faith. Isaiah says, fear not for you will not be put to shame. You will never, you will not feel humiliated. You will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, and you will remember them no more. In other words, forget what lies behind you. Move forward. The reason we will remember them no more, he says in verse 5, for your husband is your maker. In other words, God Almighty is our husband. We are a part of his, the bride of Christ, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of this earth. Verse 10 says, The mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, listen now, but His loving kindness will not be removed from you. His covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you jump back into the New Testament and one of my favorite places is Paul. Talk about security. Paul says, in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loves us. Paul writes in verse 38 of Romans chapter 8, for I am convinced. Paul says to you and to me, he is convinced of this, that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, things present nor things to come, powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you and me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to repeat that. Not height, depth, nothing. No created thing will be able to separate you and me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are so blessed. We are so secure in our faith. And we are simply that because of our faith and our trust and our belief in Jesus Christ and His Word. But, and this is where Peter shifts gears and he gets really serious 
Those who choose not to believe. He says in verse 7, the last part of it, in verse 8, he states that their fate is terrible, full of disappointment, full of doom, D-O-O-M, doom. He says in verse 7, this precious value then is for those who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this stone became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumbled because they are disobedient. Disobedient to what? They were disobedient to the Word, to this, the Word of God, and to this doom, Peter writes. They were also appointed. Now I want to talk to you in a moment, a little bit about verse 8. There are those who feel that there are some who are called to Christ, can't do anything about it, and some who are not, can't do anything about it. That's not, that is not what Scripture teaches. I, I studied it a quite a bit this week, and I wanted to be certain of this. John MacArthur, who is a Calvinist, but he, he does not stand that strongly to say that you cannot choose to come to Christ. Now, I believe like he believes, and I don't want to get too deeply into this, but I believe that God is in control of everything. I have no trouble with that. I know the, the wisdom, I know the power, and I know the awesomeness of my God. At least I feel like I know it. But uh, but Dr. McGee and, and MacArthur and, and Dr. Utley, who I'm studying this particular book, First Peter, Dr. Utley writes in his commentary that 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 some say God chooses some to salvation and some to damnation. He said, however, verses like John 3:16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him, not whom He chooses, but whosoever believes in Him, will not perish but have everlasting life. And then you can look at 1 Timothy 2.4. says primarily the same thing. 2 Peter 3.9. Primarily it says the same thing. Dr. Yatley writes, It shows that this cannot be true. God's election is primarily for holiness and Christ-likeness. Not separating one from the other. I, I, uh, I love this. He, he says these verses in, in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9-13. through 13 reminds him of this promise. God's covenant people, Israel, had the light that they needed to respond appropriately to Him. And some did and some did not. This continual rejection caused hard hearts that could not respond and therefore only judgment was possible. Listen, I I believe that with all my heart, folks. I want you to know that you are secure once you come to Christ. And you can... You can ask Jesus into your life right where you are and He will come. He will come into your heart the moment you ask. You have to not be worried about it. But not to believe in Him is a terrible fate. Jesus Christ Himself said these once amazing words about how He longs to be loved by all of us and how the Father will love those of us who love Him. Listen to what He says. John 16, 27. Jesus very clearly says, The Father Himself loves you. Why? Why does God the Father love you? Because, Jesus says, You have loved me, meaning Him, and believed that Jesus Christ came forth from the Father. Believing and loving Jesus Christ lets us know that the Father loves us in return. What you and I know about love is given to us by God. We love because He 
first loved us. One of my favorite verses concerning love and belief, we just studied some weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. It's just above where you are right now or just over the page a little bit. 1 Peter 1.8. I want you to look at it. Remember it. Though you, Peter writes, though you have not seen Him, talking about Jesus, you love Him. And though you have not seen Him now, you believe in Him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Love and belief are two inseparable statements of faith. In other contrast to that love of Christ are those who choose not to believe, not to trust, to put them off for whatever reason to not accept Christ at this time. Peter quotes out of Psalms 118.22 and out of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and verses 7 and 8 by asserting that those who were the builders, namely Israel, rejected the Christ, the Messiah, the very cornerstone when He came. And you might say, well, you know, Pastor, you live... A little hardcore here. I, I'm not sure I know. I, I, uh, I think I love them. I think I do. But I don't know. I mean, who knows? I do. I know that I love them. I don't always act like it. I'll give you that. But I know deep in here, deep within my belly, I love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, and my might. And Jesus makes it crystal clear about those that say, well, I think I do, but I'm not certain. He says in Matthew 12:30, he says, he who is with me, well, let me write it the right way. He says this, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather scatters. There's no middle ground. It's like Dr. J. Vernon McGee says so wonderfully, you're either a saint, what? Or you ain't. And you know, you know, nobody has to ask you. Nobody, nobody, nobody has to go here and check. Are you married? And you say, I think so. Yeah, I think, well, I don't know. Are you kidding me? You wouldn't say that. Any man here wouldn't say that in front of their wives. That'd be stupid. That's, that's death right there. No, I know exactly when I got married. And I know that I'm married. No doubt about it. I also know the time and place that I accepted the Lord. For me, that was important. I'm not saying that everyone has to have a a time and a place, although today, November the 9th, 2014, if you're not certain, it would be a great day to nail it down. 12.08, which means I've got to hurry up. I've got to finish this. This is a great day to come to Christ. The religious Jew, when, when Jesus Christ walked the earth, watched Him and they did not accept Him as the very cornerstone, the the one who is the Messiah, who is to come, the one who is precious and choice in the sight of God, they chose to refuse. And to them, Jesus was, and to anyone else who doesn't believe, is worthless. They rejected Him as, as God's cornerstone because He didn't fit their, their previous preconceived idea of, of what the Messiah needed to look like. Jesus, He said, no, He understood this. He understood it clearly. He said in Matthew 13:54 through 57, it says Jesus came into his own hometown. He began teaching them in the synagogue. And by them it meant he was taught, teaching everybody that came. And they came by myriads. The crowds were enormous. And they were astonished, it says, because they asked, where did this man, talking about Jesus, 
get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Where did he get them? They question in verse 55 of Matthew 13. Is he not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? In other words, he's doing all of these miracles. He's, he's saying words that they have never heard before about faith and trusting and knowing God. And they're saying, where does he get all of this? You know what it's like? In John, when Jesus Christ came to one of his good friends, Zacchaeus, who had died, and his sisters Martha and Mary asked him to come and help them. And, and, and he went there and, and, and he had been... Zacchaeus, was it uh, Zac- what? What was his name? All of a sudden, I drawn a, a, a what's my cross? Huh? Lazarus. Thank you. That's who it was. And Lazarus had been dead four days, and Jesus asked him to get up out of the grave, and he did. And he walked out. It's amazing because the next verse says, "And many who saw this believed." <laughs> well, I would hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, really. But it goes on to say, and some walked away in their disbelief. That is amazing to me. To not know who he is when he does these things in front of you. And so they rejected him. They stumbled over the very cornerstone, the the stone of stumbling, as it says in verse 8, the rock of offense. They stumbled over him. And verse 8 makes it clear that those who reject Jesus Christ will stumble and will suffer divine judgment. Why? Because they were disobedient to the Word. Unbelievers receive the exact judgment that their sinful choice demands. To this doom, it says in verse 8, they were also appointed because they did not believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please listen, folks. God does not destine people to unbelief. That's a decision one makes on his own. But he does appoint judgment, doom, as verse 8 says, upon every unbeliever. Listen to what he says, Jesus. The one who believes in me, he says, is not judged. I'm not judged anymore because I believe in Christ. He has already paid the price for my sin. I am not judged. Neither are you if you've come to Christ. But, he says, the person who does not believe has been judged already. In other words, not that they're going to be. They've already judged themselves guilty. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36 says, The person who believes in the Son has, right now, has eternal life. But the one who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God, doom, abides in them. John 8.24, Jesus says, I say to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. Some people say, I've never heard that before. That's... I wrote a note to myself that I must say at this point, and it's, it's, not, it's not really for us here, but the preachers who preach and don't have the guts, don't have the courage, like Peter, to say the truth about heaven and hell. Shame on them. 
Shame on anyone who doesn't open up the Bible and preach the whole counsel of the Word of God and give people, some of you here, who are investigating your, fa- your faith at least a fighting chance to either trust in Him or go away and say, I, don't, I, don't, I can't buy that. I don't want to believe in Him. At least you had a chance to hear that two and two are four and can make a decision on your own. That's why I was so impressed by this person that came to me. God judges unbelievers as a consequence of their lack of love for Him. And what is that? It's their disobedient to the Word of God. That's why preachers must preach this. And then their refusal to believe what's written right before their eyes, which is exactly where Peter leads everyone who reads and hears verses 6, 7, and 8. The teaching of the Word of God has a great responsibility upon us as a church. You guys have to hold me accountable. You've got to. You can't let me stray from the Word of God. You can't let anyone that gets into our pulpit and doesn't preach out of the Word of God, you can't allow them to do that because they're taking people astray. The only thing that will change your life, your life and my life, I wasn't pointing at anybody. I was just pointing at different sides of the room. Someone, someone told me the other day, he says, man, you, you just beat me up by pointing and looking. And I guess I look at one certain area most. And he says, where are you at in the sit? He said, would you please look somewhere else? <laughs> God wants you to know the truth. And what we want as a church is for you to weigh the truth. Weigh the truth. And make a decision on your own to either accept it or reject it. But understand, understand the consequences of those decisions. One will give you what John and Kathy and Manny and other John spoke of and Debbie the week before, a joy of serving the Lord. And the others will give you a, I don't know. I was a non-believer for most of my life. I can't tell you you're not going to have a good time because then I would say that I didn't and I had a ball. Being an unbeliever was kind of fun. But it was taking me straight to hell. And someone once had enough courage to tell me that. And unbeknownst to him, I was always afraid that when I died, I'd go to hell. So I reasoned in my heart, there's no hell. No heaven either. Just eat, drink, be merry, and then die. And that's it. We're gone. That'd be great, but it's not true. The truth of it is, is that there's a decision that all of us must make. I'm beating that horse to death, aren't I? Sorry. There'll be a prayer team up here to pray with us. If you have anything you want to have them pray for, they'd be honored to, to pray with you, and, and they'll keep it very private. And they will. Uh, we want to be a church that prays for one another. And if you need to talk about your faith and, and maybe you want to come to Christ, they'll be happy to talk to you about that too. And if you're like that one person that came to me and want me to talk, I will. I will talk as much as you'd like. I owe you a minute. Thanks for being here, big man. Makes me feel better. Because if I know anyone charges this place, they ain't getting to me. <laughs> they got to go through you. Um, I love you guys more than you'll ever know. If I only had one preach, one message to preach before I died, 
I would have loved to have been that one. I, I like I like heaven and hell. I love the whole idea of telling the truth. It makes me feel good. I thank God for Peter. He gave me the courage to do it. Father, thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day. It is a day that we can really rejoice in and be thankful of. So, Father, bless us as we go from here. And more importantly, Father, may we be a blessing to you wherever you might take us. Blessing to you and a blessing to those that we come in contact with. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I do love you all very much. Have a great, great day. What a nice day.